Last week I had the pleasure of reading a report um, again it's due with COVID and it was delivered by Professor Martin Cormack and who joined us many, many, many times on this programme during the whole COVID situation and um, when I went through it and I've highlighted some of the, the aspects of the report that I want uh, to talk to him about um, but he, he starts out by saying in the second page uh, overall the model of an independent expert um, advi- group advising government helped to guide the response and to maintain public confidence public communication through the pandemic was generally managed well in terms both of the general broadcast and print media and social media amongst the most fundamental and I'm jumping to another paragraph amongst the most fundamental uh, things that helped Ireland was that most people have a decent education and a good deal of trust in public institutions and healthcare professionals. Did we trust them too much is the question. Uh, Professor Cormican, good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks for joining us uh, today. First off, can I commend you on the paper which you delivered? When did you deliver this paper? Uh, it was in late October of last year. Uh, we had a, a National Society ask me to, to talk to them about my reflections looking back and, and so this is the, the paper that I, I that I talked to on that day. Yeah. It's a very it's a very frank and very open paper and I read out sections of it there that I had highlighted when I read it um, going going through it. And the the last piece I read out there were, was amongst the most fundamental things that helped Ireland was that most people have a decent education and a good deal of trust in public institutions and in healthcare professionals. And um, did we trust people too much? Um, well, that's an interesting question. I mean, I think that uh, what I think the trust, the trust that people had, I think, is not that we as healthcare professionals or the agents of the state are perfect. I think they, they, they had the trust that we were all genuinely trying to do what we thought was best. Um, and I say that as people I agreed with and, and people I disagreed with. Um, I, I think that if the trust was that people were trying to do what they thought was best, and that trust, in my opinion, was well placed. Mm. Did we get everything right? Well, I think that's the question we, we should now be doing. There's a process called an after action review that in a, after an emergency where you look back not to try to find people to blame, but to try to find are there things that we should have done better? Are there things we could have done better? And that's what I think is useful now. But it, the trust that people were trying to do their best was in my opinion, well-placed. And, and people that I worked with, and I worked with many people, obviously, or that I don't believe that I worked with anyone who wasn't sincerely interested in trying to protect health. And that, as I say, includes people I agreed with and people I disagreed with. But was your... You were at the, you were at the coal face right through the pandemic. Were your thought processes that you've outlined in the paper here, were they taken on board? Were you listened to? Because you're making so you've, you've made some comments in relation to aspects of it in children, and we'll get to it in a few minutes' time, and all of that. But were you listened to, or was there a stronger cohort of people, out of the goodness of their heart, shouting louder? Well, in terms of the in terms of the public health advice, first of all, I have to say yes. Um, I I um, I made the points that I wanted to make at various foreign writing or in meetings. So I I said what my views were. Um, you know, other people had different views. And when you have a group of people in the room like that, there's no point in having everybody who agree. You you have to have different opinions. And uh, and then the decisions that are made often reflect a, a, a trying to put all of those opinions together. Um, it was not always the case that my opinion was the one that prevailed. That's the nature of things. And then 
my understanding of my role was that you contribute to the decision. It's not always the decision you would have preferred, but then you you work with that decision because that's the decision that's been made. And and of course, you know, somebody like me has to accept that I have opinions. I express them, but um, others people have have valid opinions as well. And as I say, you know, the the attempt is to try to find uh, a solution that represents the balance of opinion, and then everybody who's involved has to work with with that. Um, I, so I think that. And now I think it's a time where we look back and say, well, now that there is time to reflect, we look back and say, what could we have done better? And some of the things that, you know, that I would have concerns about, and you, you know, for example, in my view, education is an essential service. Um, it's just as essential as many other things. And it, we, we in, in keeping it closed for so long, I think as a society, we behaved as if education was an optional, you know, was not an essential service. Mm-hmm. Um, but the vast majority of public health opinion uh, was that, that they, they, it was important to keep schools working. But there were other voices and other opinions, and, and you know that that decision was was made. Um, I think the question is how do how do we value education as a society? How do we value the impact of taking education away from our children as a society? And if this were to happen again, is that something we would want to do? But do you see? I think. When you say value education, I think you value education, you value health as well. Because if, if I just tease this through with you, all of the nurses and doctors and professors and all of you, you all went to work because it was an essential service. Education was an essential service, but perhaps because of the way it was spreading so quickly, um, decisions were made, but not for, the, not for the good of the children and the students in question. Well, the good of the children is is key. To, I mean, yeah. if if we're to have a future as a society, we our children are our future, um, and the consequences of children for of losing their education, particularly for children who are already in difficult circumstances or children who have special needs, the consequences for them of loss of education was absolutely profound, um, and uh, and the and those those consequences for those children will last for a very long time. Now, it's not that I'm saying that things are easy. I think finding the right balance is difficult, and it's always difficult. But thinking about this ahead of time, in case this happens again, will help us, I think, to make the decisions that we are happier with the next time. And 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 it's really difficult. The immediate issue was the spread of COVID, and, and that had to be addressed. And how we balance that with the long-term consequences of some of the decisions we made is really important because the, the long-term consequences over the whole life of some of those children who lost opportunities, some of those losses will impact on their health and their well-being for, for, for years, if not for the rest of their life. Um, and so finding that balance between dealing with the emergency that's there in front of you and the long-term consequences of the actions you take. I don't pretend it's easy, but I think it's really important that we think about how we might do that and how we might try to do it better if something like this happens again. But if I could just go to the uh, opening paragraph um, of what you presented last October. In January 2020, a consultant colleague visited me in Galway. He expressed concern about the potential of this new virus emerging in China uh, to cause global pandemic. I thought it would be probably contained like SARS, uh, although we might see a few fewer cases, it probably won't, um, would not be too bad. The colleague in question 
he has never once reminded me of the conversation and I've remembered it almost every day. We, I suppose you as professionals and the rest of us really didn't know what was coming from China. There was huge uncertainty, uh, of course, and there was huge uncertainty throughout. And, and as I say, in conscious of that, it's, it, you know, that's why there was differences of opinion amongst, you know, and people of people of good faith, um, people acting in good faith can come to very different views on a situation where the evidence is emerging and changing very, very mm. quickly. So it, there was a lot of uncertainty and I don't, you know, I don't suppose anybody got everything right and I include myself in that. It, it was a challenging situation for everybody. Every person in society, I think, was, was yeah. struggling with the uncertainty. Um, I think that went through everyone who was involved at every level. There were fears, there was uncertainty and people were uh, trying to work out their way um, work the way through it. And and again, as you say, it's an important point I tried to make in the paper is that Ireland did many things well. So this isn't isn't an attack on everything that we did or a criticism of everything we did. We did many things well and we did many things better than I think some of our neighbours did. But, But the question is, could we have done better and how might we do better if it happens again? And could we have done better? And will we do better? Have we learned enough to do better? Should I, we hope, be? I hope so. I mean, particularly, I think education is a key part. I think the world, not just Ireland, I think the world needs to look at how we understand the use of testing for infection because I think globally we, we, we did it all over the world. A huge amount of testing was done um, and with very significant environmental consequences. And, and I would question whether we had the benefit was whether that was balanced by the benefit uh, throughout the whole thing. So, so it's not just our, these are questions that for all of us. And I think fund education, and then the other key part, I think, was the that uh, the how what we did impacted on some of the people we were hoping to protect. Yeah. And again, nobody is questioning that everybody was acting in good in good faith. You know, I understand that, but but we look back now and we see what the consequences were for some of the. Uh, some of the people in residential care, uh, some of the older people, um, that some of the advice that was given, yes, it did have a value in protecting them at the time from an immediate risk, but 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 what are the consequences of that for their long-term health? And my question is, and it is a question because I don't have all the answers, is did we get that balance right? So effectively then, we're looking at the old and the young, or the young and the old, whichever way you want to go about it. You're talking about the young when it comes to education, and you're talking about those in residential units who may be, a li- who may be elderly and or otherwise. Um, who, who, who often lost access to people who, who were, you know, their loved ones. But, but it was hard for everyone. I, I mean, no, no, I, I don't that. know anyone who didn't find it hard. Everyone at every age lost, uh, lost things. Um, so, but there are some groups who lost more than others. But you see... The, the people you were affected and I was affected. You lost your mom during COVID. I couldn't visit my mom or my father-in-law or my uncle during COVID. They were in residential units. And we were having these window visits, which were far more frustrating uh, than anything else. But we did it because we wanted to comply with everything that we were told to do to keep them safe there and us safe so that we don't affect and infect somebody else. Yes, and, and I think one of the questions that we have to ask ourselves is did we think enough about what they wanted? Um, 
and what the, the, the people involved are, are no more all the same than any of the rest of us are all the same. But there were, and so there were people who would have done everything to reduce their risk. And there were other people who would have said, I, I want to see my family. And uh, and the balance is difficult because you have, in a residential centre, you have 30 people. The 30 people don't all want the same thing. But for me, uh, as I said, the, the issue of how we live and, and indeed how we die is, is, is really very important. And there are certain risks when you look back at this now that there are certain risks I think that we have to live with in order to be human and be humane. Um, uh, and um, and it's not about the visitors, because the visitors actually, from my point of view, the visitors don't have rights in this. It's about the rights of the people who, who want to see somebody. It's the their residents, rights. That, yeah. you know, it's the resident. What did the resident want? And they didn't, of course, be, from a nature being what it is, I'm sure they didn't want all the same thing any more than you or I would no. want the same thing. But there were people um, who, for whom, um, for whom seeing the people who mattered to them was was absolutely fundamental to their sense of who they were, um, and for and, and and they would have and it, the the options weren't and the options won't be if this happens again a free for all or no nobody getting in through the door. That's those aren't you know it's not one or the other. Mm. It's a question of balance and and having some access for people to the people who are most important to them. So it, as yeah. they, Nobody, nobody is suggesting. I remember in pre pre COVID days, um, there was you know, people just dropped into a, a residential care facility whenever they wanted. Nobody is suggesting we could have done that through COVID, or at least nobody, I think, with any you know with no. any sense would suggest we could have done that through COVID. But how did, did did we get the balance right? And for a lot of people who ended up spending their last days with with very caring people looking after them in many cases, but not their people. Yeah, that's not, their not a family. choice that I think many of them would have made. They're people because as yeah. the kindest healthcare worker in the world, the most compassionate healthcare worker in the world is not still not family. No, just I was looking at new um, figures last week. I have them here in front of me again. New figures from the health uh, HSE shows the number of deaths from uh, with COVID nineteen nursing homes and hospitals uh, linked to outbreaks uh, in the disability residential centres. Also, so out of eight thousand five hundred forty five COVID nineteen deaths in Ireland. Uh, 2,323 are 27% were in nursing homes. That's quite a high figure. It, it is a high figure and it is difficult to, to, to you know, death, there's, it's a complicated issue because people who, when you, people died um, after they had a COVID infection. And for some of those people, there were people who, if they hadn't got COVID, they might have lived uh, uh, to enjoy many, uh, many years ahead. For some people, they may already have been very ill and having got COVID might not have been made a huge difference to them. I think, again, nobody is going to pretend that this is easy. Um, no, but, no, no, no. But the balance is, is there were consequences, short-term consequences, Um and there are long-term consequences, and finding that balance is difficult. And and the the every one of the other things I quote in the paper is a, a lovely book called Another Day of Life. Yeah. You know, every day of life has a value. Um, but the difficulty about health policy and about public policy in general is that it is trade-offs. That's that's is. the reality. That yeah. the decisions that we make to protect a group of people against one thing may have consequences for them in relation to other things that are important to them 
and it may have consequences okay. for other people in, 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 in the community. And that's why it's so difficult because it's, it is, it is balance. And, you know, so in the short term, you focus on one particular thing. Um, but what are the long term consequences of that? And if we have to do this again, I think we need to plan now better systems to make sure that that balance is, 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 yeah. Is worked out is, very is carefully place. if we ever have to do this again, which we all hope we won't, of course. Well, I hope not, not in your lifetime or my lifetime. Just kind of just because I, I went back at some of the coverage that we did, and you were very kind with your time all along, as were all of your colleagues. Uh, but I mean, you you always spoke out in relation to the wearing of masks, and you covered that as well uh, in this paper that you delivered last October. Um, and, you know, the two metre rule and all that type of stuff. Have we really learned moving forward um, uh, mandatory well, mass squaring and all of that? Have we, have, we, have we learned anything? Well, I think the, the, what I, I suppose what I'm saying is that now is the time to do the learning. Yeah. Um, it, 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 we, we were all trying to learn as we were going through um, on, and, and uh, everybody, in this, everybody in the country was under huge pressure and fear and it's hard to learn uh, you, we, we all had to try but it was hard to learn under that kind of pressure and fear and and now is the time I think for uh, we're in a better place to do the reflection and to do the learning and a key thing from my point of view at least is that we not get into a situation of blaming people who made decisions Absolutely under nice. enormous pressure and difficult circumstances and, and I know some people will say I have a vested interest in saying that maybe I have but but it's it. But if we want to do better, then it has to be about the learning and 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 how do we do better? And and of course, I, I have no doubt that there are things that I might have. There are things that all of us who were involved might have done different if we knew then what every we one of now. us. Yeah. But but every one of us. But but I can't I can't say that you know the people that I worked with, some of whom were you know some of whom. You work with easier, some of whom you find more difficult to work with. That's just working life. But I, I can't say I worked with anybody who ever gave me cause to doubt that they were trying to do their best. Mm. The after action uh, review, is that ongoing or has that begun yet or begun yet? Um, I'm not aware that it started yet. There's various talks of, uh, there's the talk about there being an inquiry. Um, I don't do we know want that an inquiry, inquiry is no. a great term because no. inquiry no. sounds like you're finding somebody to blame. Yeah. And what I'm interested in doing is 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 accepting that all of us maybe look, reflect on how we could have done better. And as I say, if it happens again, hopefully we'd be in a in a better place. And and that requires a, a lot of planning. There's a lot of issues about our healthcare system, about how we make decisions. Yeah. It, and and but but also to to look at how we build on the strengths, because it was absolutely critical. Again, going back to the link between education and health that most people in Ireland have a good education. So they could they could take part in, in you know, they, you could give the information, people were able to receive the information, they were able to read and, and, and learn, and, and that trust in public institutions. I think, how do we build and retain those? Because whatever the next problem we have to deal with is trust and education. And, and, and you know, another strong thing was that people, nothing is ever perfect, but a lot of people did, give up a lot to support their communities through this. And that's yeah. a huge asset as well. And, and so, you know, the learning is two parts. One is how do we build on what we did well, but the other is how do we look at the things that we should have done better. 
I think we all learned, so we did. And I remember very well, I'm going to leave you on this thought. I, to, we were went to, our, Lon- our son invited us to London at the beginning of February, I think it was, the end of January, beginning of February. And I remember landing in Stansted Airport and he came out to collect us in the car. And I remember seeing a lot of people walking around with face masks on and I thought, that'll never catch on in Ireland. Within two weeks, that had caught on in Ireland. And I think every you gave a lot of your time, so you did. We gave a lot of our time here. I abandoned family life uh, for a period of time until, because you had to do it. We had to be here on a Sunday for the Mass to, 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 to bring that to people. We had to be here during the day. Like it was, I think an awful lot of people gave up an awful lot. You did too. And uh, I think we just have to, I don't believe an inquiry is necessary. I hate the word inquiry. Uh, but anyway, I don't think an inquiry is necessary. Where could they get a copy of your, your paper, by the way, uh, Professor Gormick, and if they want to read it's, it through? Um, it's, it's, it's on the, it's on a, there's a thing called ResearchGate, and what I might do if, is if I send you the, the link to it, you can just click on the link and it brings you to the paper for anyone who, who's interested to read it. So I, I send that to you. All right, if you don't mind, that'd be great. I got, I have my email, so if it's the same one, I can just uh, put it up on, on our website here as well. Professor Cormac, and thank you for being you, and thank you indeed uh, for what you've done through the pandemic with everybody else as well. Uh, but it's clear reading. It's very easy to read the paper, I have to say, and he delivered it extremely well there as well. Thank you to Professor Martin Cormac for joining us uh, today on the programme. Yet to come on today's uh, programme, uh, today we're going to go to Colin Markey. We're looking at TikTok there today and also we're looking at e- extending uh, boundaries uh, from the city to the county. The land grab is on. Galway Talks, in association with Tesco. Click and collect allows you to collect your order whenever suits you. A very good morning to you. Good response in. Keep them coming into us, please. Uh, thanks to the team at Rationale Windows 086 38 33 55 3. Very positive comments coming in in relation to Professor Cormac in there. So we'll, uh, we, we, we keep, um, we'll keep them for just for a few moments and then uh, we'll give them to you. So I'll put them together from there. Um, we will post on Twitter and WhatsApp uh, very shortly um, the link to that paper. Very easily read. I read it once uh, on the computer at home and then we printed it this morning and I went through it um, as well. So anyway, if you want to get that paper, give us a few minutes, we'll get it up there and uh, get it out on Twitter and you can just download it from there. Now though, let me move on today. I mentioned that we were looking at uh, TikTok and uh, the Midlands Northwest MEP uh, has called on the Oroxus to ban TikTok from staff phones and uh, Fine Gael MEP Colin Markey uh, joins me on the line today. MEP Markey, good morning to you. Good morning, Keith. Thanks for joining us uh, today. So you're asking them to um, ban TikTok from staff devices. Um, what's your concern here? I mean, I'm not on TikTok. Well, at my age in life, I know what TikTok is. It's the clock that wakes me in the morning time. Uh, but why why TikTok? Why not all social media platforms? Well, it's specifically in relation to China because TikTok is essentially Chinese-owned. I yeah. suppose it's unfought of the fact that the European Parliament, the European Commission, the Council, the European Council, the US, in the US, they've banned it. Canada and a number of other places as well, they've actually banned TikTok for because there's concerns. I suppose the fact that it's a Chinese company and the, the law in China is basically that the government can uh, seek data from from Chinese companies. So TikTok is a Chinese company. And if the if the data from the rest of from outside of China is going back to the parent company in China, well, the the Chinese government can request that. So it's a, it's a serious security issue. And I think 
Given that the EU has responded in that, the, the US government has responded in the, in the same way. It, clearly, there is, a, there, there is a serious concern there. And what I would say is we need to at least to, temporarily uh, ban it until such time as we are, we are satisfied that there is, there, there's not an issue there. But can, I know you have to educate me on this one. I mean, I know TikTok, I've seen the videos on TikTok and all of that. But if they went data mining um, with the parent company in China, what could they find out? Well, sure. Like they've already used, there's evidence that they've already used it to 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 track Western journalists now because they were looking at the the, the location of where journalists were and see to see whether they were getting their sources in relation to TikTok. So they were looking at TikTok staff and looking then equally at the journalists and matching up their locations. So this seems to be they, they, well. That's that's and that's the, that's been inferred anyway. So uh, that that would appear to be well, would appear to have happened. So. There, there, there's that doubt there, there's that question there, and I think it's up to TikTok to, to clarify the situation and ensure this isn't happening and, and to give guarantees that this information from the rest of the world is not come back to, to the Chinese parent company. Because it's not so much the company that the concern is with. If it goes back to the parent company, they're, they're, they'll be held accountable by the Chinese government or forced to, to release the data, and, and that's, that's where the concern is. But I mean, I suppose the bigger picture here is artificial intelligence is what we're really talking about here uh, that people can mine because, I mean, I'm afraid they're doing it today now, but I mean, many of the time we could be talking at home about something um, and we've got three Alexas in the house, one upstairs, two downstairs, and all of a sudden on your phone that's on the same Wi-Fi network, you get an ad for what you're talking about. So that's, that's all artificial intelligence. So, but it's what they can do with it is what bothers you from a Chinese point of view. Well, certainly from a Chinese point of view, I think there there are other there are other if you like platforms, social media platforms, the like of Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all sorts of other platforms that that I, I think there's not the same security risk around. And certainly as a whole, I think the the fact that your your phone does track where you are. It possibly does link some of your searches on, on like uh, search engines, so it shows what you've been interested in, and then maybe provides advertising in relation. So, so there is a, a broader sense of what people are. Also, what people allow, people accept various cookies on the phone at different times, and maybe they need to be a little more careful in what to do, do, do agree to. So, I think sometimes people will blame the phone, but equally, I think we all have to be careful about what we actually what we accept in terms of the general use of cookies on the on on phones and, and jet devices in general so i think there certainly is a broader issue and i suppose the problem with the broader issue is that a it's not up to every individual to have the you know to, to be an expert on on we'll say cyber security but i think so the the, the, the use of, let's say, cookies and accepting different cookies is, is something that we need to look at probably broader as well in terms of because people automatically just do it and then maybe they're, they're, they're agreeing to let their information be shared in, the, in certain ways. That's probably a different issue. This mm. issue is very much in the current climate where we're looking at, let's say, the, the current Russian situation and with the Russian ties with China and there is a concern that, if you like, in a country that isn't a democratic country, that the use of this data could be used inappropriately. And are you really concerned about what China might do with all the information they have? Because I remember around the time that you remember Huawei, the Huawei, Huawei is that how we pronounce it? Yes, um, Huawei. 
Oh, wow, well, yeah. I mean, some of some of their senior people were, were detained in the States and otherwise. And there's also calls for anybody that had the Huawei technology uh, for it to be taken out of, because um, it to be taken out of circulation, because it's um, it could be, again, mined by the Chinese people and our information could be used. So... Do you know more to clarify, though, what we're talking about here is essentially government devices, yes, yes, uh, yeah. people working in government. It's not, it's not a broad base, I suppose. And when you consider if people who are working in government are using uh, TikTok and if there was some security issue, that would be significant. And there, there may be information that would get into the hands of, let's say, the Chinese government that people would intend to be confidential and would tend not to go into those hands. So I think certainly at that level, if there is any sort of a security risk, it needs to be taken seriously. Obviously, for, for the general public, there would be enormous amounts of data that probably wouldn't be of particular interest. But you'd imagine data relating to the activities of the European Commission, the European Parliament, and indeed, for instance, the US government, clearly would be something that may be of interest to the Chinese and maybe something they could take advantage of if they mm. had access to it. Um, Keith, anyone that's lucky enough to have a phone paid for by their employer, like the government, etc., should use it for contact calls, texts only. They can always get a prepay one for personal use uh, that the Chinese could look into then from there if they wanted. That's a good point, but you want you want Finnegale to lead on this one and ask uh, their staff members if they have a, a, a government phone or go, or to take TikTok off it. Well, I wouldn't say just Finnegale. I think uh, it needs to come at government level. That yeah, yeah. that, that like the same as it happened at European level, where there was direction given that direction was given here last week that for all people, either either staff or MEPs, to uninstall TikTok off their phones and any any sort of work phones, and and that's what ultimately what we did. So I think if if that ask is at European level, I think we should seriously be considering to do something similar in Ireland across all, not just one political party but across all all government and all uh, public representatives perhaps. Alright MEP Markey thank you indeed for taking our call today and a very good morning to you. Do you agree or disagree 086 38 33 55 3. Keith the whole Greenway issue has to be cancelled and go back to the drawing board. I'm a farmer on the proposed Greenway and I must say I can categorically say no farmer on the route that I have spoken to has given permission for the Greenway. We've been lied to continually by the project team and I can stand over this. The Greenway should be sited along the existing roads to facilitate local people and communities, not through forestry and bogs where safety and fires are a massive issue. Keith, I want to bring something to your notice uh, to the people uh, with the children as well. While out walking with the two Labradors in a nearby forest park on Leeds, and keeping well away from other walkers, my sister told me that parents are allowing their children to run over and pat the dogs on the heads. The dogs are quiet, but the parents don't know uh, this. She finds it very frustrating. If her dog snapped or bit them, it will be her problem. Uh, please read this out, and thank you, Keith, uh, from there. And uh, Keith, I want to congratulate um, Professor Cormac and, uh, on what he said today. And on the telephone lines coming in over here on the right-hand side, and, um, yeah, I'll have to try and find the other ones. Yeah, just, yeah, congratulations to all. Uh, Keith, an interesting conversation uh, with Professor Cormac and, and well done for what he said. He's not blaming anybody. It's 10.42, we're back just after these. Galway Talks, in association with Tesco. Find our award-winning Irish ranges in store and online at tesco.ie. 
Now, a very good morning to you. There's a land grab on the way. Now, I'm being bold by saying that, uh, but it's been proposed uh, by Councillor John Conley. He says, Councillor John Conley has welcomed a recommendation made by the CEO of Galway City Council, Brendan McGrath, to place the issue of a review of the boundary between Galway City and County uh, Council and the agenda of a forthcoming City Council meeting for further and detailed consideration and discussion. John, do you want to extend it? I suppose fundamentally, Keith, I'd have to say I think it would be more practical to do that. Uh, I think it's very important, though, you know, I don't know, you did you did speak in jest that we would do so in a manner that's cooperative, that encourages good communication between all parties involved and tries to come at the best possible outcome for both local authorities and most particularly, Keith, for the people who live in the functional areas of most bo- both local authorities and that both local authorities will be able to serve the needs of those people well. So where would you be looking at then? Are you looking at perhaps your own environs in Nocticara pushing it out as far as um, Barna or in our situation out as far as Mike Cullen? Or what are you looking at here? Well, I think it's important to say, Keith, that um, at the outset, I suppose that wouldn't form, I suppose, the direct part of the debate. Now, the National Planning Framework does suggest that, um, you know, for Galway, that there would be an increase of 40% of the population of Galway, Galway by 2040, and that the population would increase by up to 45,000. And to facilitate that, the National Framework, the National Planning Framework, sets out uh, an area that they call Galway and a metropolitan area. Uh, and from that, the North and West Regional Assembly have defined that metropolitan area. Now, their definition is the city and or more Barna and Clare Galway. But I think, Keith, you know, in having this debate and in looking at this and analysing it, it would be necessary to, to look at it from, I suppose, a greater perspective uh, where there are, where, I suppose, as the expert group said in 2015, it reflects the reality of what, what people consider to be living in an urban setting. Um, and the 2015 document is interesting because it kind of got sidetracked by the whole, uh, you know, the, the, their final proposal was an amalgamation. But they also looked at extending the city boundaries at that time and where that might be, where that would be, I suppose, where it might be the best solution or if they ultimately went for the amalgamation. But they did suggest that a boundary extension could also be looked at okay. and that that might reflect the reality of the current environment. Is it not a better prospect, perhaps, to discuss the merging of Galway City and County Council altogether? And thereby, well, I think we're yeah, all well, one can, then. The 2015 expert group, that was their ultimate finding, that they suggested that, they proposed that, they sought to enact that. Uh, But the reality on that, Keith, is it doesn't have the political will. Uh, And that's clear. That's clear from the members of both local authorities that there isn't the, the majority political will. I think it's also clear from our national parliamentarians, and that's where that's where the project ended, um, that the political will it does not exist to merge both local authorities. Why? Well, I think, you know, I think there is a fair I think some of the members of the council, I think, would fear that the city would be the magnet for, I suppose, the resources of that one joint local authority and that areas, um, I suppose, at some distance from the city would suffer in that context. But it was one before it was split. I remember. Well, I think there was all, well, I think there was, but there was always within that one, there was always a, a separate acting council on behalf of the city. Uh, while there was one county council, there was always an inde- a, a partially independent city council. All right, we won't solve it uh, today, so we won't. But I mean, the situation is that uh, you're putting it on the agenda. But again, you, ha- you have to have a vision somewhere, surely, as to where you see these well, extensions I, going. Well, I think Keith, the vision is set out for us in, in, the, in the metropolitan area 
your strategic plan that's been developed by the North and West Regional Assembly based on the National Planning Framework, that it would include Ornmore, Barney and Kilgallway. Uh, that's not to say that a further review wouldn't say that other areas would be appropriately included in it too, uh, but that's what the Metropolitan Area Strategic Plan says. Uh, and the National Planning Framework says that Galway is going to be a driver for the entire Northwest region and that the city is going to grow to a city of scale uh, and that they include in that uh, the okay. metropolitan area outside of the city. And I just think from a procedural and a practical point of view, Keith, if the National Planning Framework sees that, if the National Planning Framework sees okay. that Galway is going to have this growth, that it will be much better streamlined if one authority was responsible for the planning and the development of that area. Councillor John Connolly, thank you for joining us uh, today. What are your thoughts on that? To 086 33 Now, we have a wonderful prize to give away each and every day this week with our wonderful friends in Iron Island Ferries. They're celebrating 40 years in business since 1983 and their 90-minute cruise to Inishmore from Galway City recommences on the 7th of April and it's an exciting mini break for locals and tourists as well. So we have a daily prize and the winner can select either a ferry ticket for our two from Rossaville Ferry to uh, the terminal there in Rossaville to any of the islands. It's a year-round ticket. And um, a ferry ticket for two also, you could pick, uh, from Galway Docks uh, to Inishmore and the Cliffs of Moher. And um, again, valid from April to September this year. And all prizes are subject to availability and um, room on the ferry in question as well. So... Um, thank you to the team in Ireland Island Furries. So I'm going to ask you a very simple question. And then some we're going to pick a winner today. And then what we're going to do is today's winner and every other uh, day's winners, we're going to put their names into um, a bucket or something. And the overall winner will get their prize, which will be upgraded to an Aran Islands and Cliffs of Moher cruise from Galway City Docks. And one night stay in the beautiful family-run Ord Enya uh, bed and breakfast on Inishmore as well. Uh, beautifully appointed uh, with spectacular sea views and located in peaceful surroundings. So simply, I'm asking you a question today. What height is Dunangus? Is it 37 metres, 57 metres, 87 metres? Which is it? Is it 37 metres, 57 or 87? You can text us straight away, please, to 86 38 and you can message us or WhatsApp us to that straight away and we'll be picking a winner for today's daily ticket. And again, tickets. So again, 40 years in business. Happy birthday to them. And it's a pleasure working with them um, year round, I have to say. So is it currently, what height is doing? It's 37, 57 or 87. Let us know, please, straight away and do so to 86 I want to move to something else altogether, Fostering Fortnight and the Irish Foster Care Association. They're having their annual awareness campaign. And I'm joined by Bernadette Neal, CEO of the Irish Foster Care Association. And she joins me on the line today. Uh, Bernadette, good morning to you. Good morning. How are you? Good. It's a very, very uh, rewarding job, fostering. It's not easy all the time, but you can change somebody's life forever and ever and ever. Definitely, definitely. Um, I suppose what we see in terms of the, the contribution that foster carers make to the lives of children, they make huge difference. Um, for children, I suppose, who have had quite difficult starts in life, um, have struggles maybe with schools, with friendships, with social activities, um, and it's the foster carers that are doing the work day in, day out to help these kids develop skills, develop friendships, 
um, I suppose, and develop, you know, greater self-confidence and self-worth. So it's it's the daily, ordinary, everyday interactions with the children that really help to, to, to bring the children on and, I suppose, compensate or heal some of the difficulties that they've been through in their early, early childhoods. Let me bring in uh, Marie, indeed, who joins us uh, from East Galway as well. Marie, good morning to you. Good morning, how are you? I'm good, thank you for joining us uh, today on the programme. Um, you've been a foster carer for nearly 16 years now. That's right, Jess. And how have you found it? I have found it um, exciting, to be honest. I have um, found it as a, like a, a, an adventure, really, because I went into it really, um, you know, not really knowing uh, what lay ahead. And um, it was, you know, it involved a lot of like, you know, uh, study and maybe thought in the beginning. But, you know, when a child just arrives to your house, you just really have to get on with it. And I found it really, you know, challenging at times. But I foster with a with a private organization called Fostering First Ireland and they give me great help and support. So in a way, in some ways it was very easy, you know, uh, but... It was challenging, but looking back now after 16 years, it, I think it was the best thing I ever did. And again, I mean, I, 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 I made the point, so I did when I was on to Bernadette, um, your influence perhaps has put the children that you looked after or fostered, may have just changed their lives altogether. Oh, completely, absolutely completely. I would really think that some of the children that came into my care wouldn't be alive now, even if they didn't come into foster care. I think their situation was so bad. And uh, their life was so bad and and they were in, you know, imminent danger, really. So it's great to feel that they have, you know, a good life now and they have done really, really well. And that's the whole reward of being a foster parent. Do they ever come back to you once they leave? Oh, yes. Always. I'm in, I'm in regular contact with all my foster children, you know, by WhatsApp and, you know, email and they come and visit me and they often come you know to stay with me even you know on a holiday and they even bring their own children with them which is nice and uh, no I'm in regular contact with my, with uh, my, the majority of my foster children so you have found it rewarding beyond rewarding yeah. actually in your delight absolutely you did it. I couldn't really describe how uh, rewarding it is now looking back on it at the time of course it would be like maybe challenging I might have thought was hard work and everything but definitely definitely of, of all the things that I would have done in my life it's definitely the most rewarding when you know that you have made a difference to some child Marie thanks for joining us uh, to Bernadette in, in, doesn't that just sum it all up and says it all Oh, a a absolutely absolutely I, I, and the children themselves you know would often talk about being welcomed into a foster family and what that experience has been like for them, being part of a foster family, growing up and learning about what family life is about and what relationships are about um, and how things can be very different. I always remember one girl I spoke to many years ago who would have said, I remember my own family, you know, when we had arguments, the anger was always there and always stayed there. Whereas in the foster family, she couldn't get over that actually they had a very different way of dealing with, with issues and moving on from issues and she said she has learned you know that you don't have to hold on to that anger that things can be sorted out so those simple everyday skills coping skills you know personal skills they're all what makes the difference in terms of better outcomes for children in care how can they get further details bernadette and neil on 
the again, fostering fortnight, you just want as many people as possible to be educated. Yes, yes. It's our um, uh, annual awareness campaign and the Irish Foster Care Association. We have a number of local events, coffee mornings, and there's one actually coming up very soon this week on the 8th, which is Wednesday, in the Ordry Hotel in Tume. Um, And I suppose the focus of that session is um, we're delighted to welcome along Shannon Mulrooney, who's going to be delivering a workshop on play activities for children between the ages of 0 and 6 and those that are, are, I suppose, developmentally delayed as well and performing in that age bracket. So that's, I suppose, the, the kind of local event that's happening for the, for the Galway area. But definitely go to our website, ifca.ie. We have national events as well online. Okay. Um, come to the coffee mornings. Give, give, me, give yeah. me the website address then. What should you call it? Yeah, it's www.ifca.ie. Iske.ie if you want to get further details Bernadette thank you for joining us Marie thank you for joining us we're heading towards the 11 o'clock news stay tuned Galway Talks in association with Tesco Click and Collect allows you to collect your order whenever suits you